Welcome, everybody, to the Resilient Podcast. My name is Neil Tan, and I'm your host today. Today, we've got a fantastic guest, Floyd Newsom, who is from RPA Hong Kong. Welcome, Floyd, to the show. Great to be here, Neil. Awesome. Really excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, it's been uh, a long time in the making. I mean, we've been trying to have this kind of chat for a while. But uh, maybe what we'll do is just kind of kick it off and you can just do a quick introduction of yourself. Sure. Um, yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to the Resilient Podcast. Um, I'm Floyd Newsom. I'm not the host of uh, the podcast, but I am a founder and managing director at uh, RPA Hong Kong Limited, which specializes in products and services related to the domain of AI automation. Um, I'm also an adjunct assistant professor at Chinese University of Hong Kong, uh, one of the top universities here in Hong Kong, uh, specifically for the master's program in financial technologies. Mm. And there I also teach a course related to what I do on a day-by-day -day basis, which is robotic process automation and, and AI, uh, also known as intelligent automation. Right, right, right. So tell us a little bit about this, uh, the company RPA that you founded. So what do you guys exactly do and you know, what sort of clients that you actually help out? Sure. So I've had about a 20 plus year history of working mm -hmm. with companies, uh, helping them to leverage technology uh, solutions in order to improve operational efficiencies. Right. And so after uh, working for a variety of different companies, um, large names like Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, uh, HSBC, uh, Ernst & Young, all in their technology and operations uh, divisions. And being an implementation partner for these companies to implement automation or software solutions to make their companies better, um, probably at this journey of working for others, it kind of dawned on me, you know what? I could probably put out my own shingle, um, right. be an entrepreneur, create both uh, solutions that were more flexible sure. to uh, companies and potential clients to help service their needs, and then also provide products, which would also be very useful for uh, these same, same clients. And so about five years ago, uh, we launched RPA Hong Kong. Uh, and the name basically says it all. We started with a very, very niche focus on providing robotic process automation mm. solutions and services to clients based in Hong Kong. Right. Uh, over the years, we have then branched out where we are more of an intelligent automation provider, where we provide process automation paired with AI solutions, typically pre-built uh, AI modules from some of uh, the largest um, uh, companies in the world, um, you know, the IBMs, the uh, Microsofts uh, of the world. Uh, we partner with them to implement these uh, AI models and integrate them into uh, traditional process automation workflows. Um, and then also we've expanded beyond uh, simply servicing clients uh, in Hong Kong. Um, we have international clients as well as clients based in uh, what is called the China Greater Bay Area region. Got it, got it. And so just to kind of um, distill it, if you will, you're basically going with different clients, take their existing data set, put, create a, 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 a large language model out of that, and then apply it inside of their workflow. Is that 
So we have a proprietary uh, eight-step um, process for working with, with clients, and I won't go into uh, the, the details yeah, of all of that. Either, right? Yeah, yeah, we're not going to go um, into e e Effectively, uh, RPA Hong Kong, it has its own process automation uh, product that yeah. we can deliver to clients which are interested in subscribing to our AI uh, automation as a service um, product and service offering. Um, this solution... Um, we pair it with uh, easier to use AI mob, mob, models um, that typically come from some of our partners. Now, I do have a uh, PhD on my payroll, and so she's a data scientist, computer scientist um, by traditional academic training, and so we can internally build out AI models. But in a lot of cases, clients are looking for um, very quick solutions. And so we'll work with the IBMs of the world, the Microsofts of the world, and we'll take and leverage some of their pre-built uh, AI models to enhance our workflow. So as an example, um, imagine that you have a situation where there are people within the financial department, uh, and this is an, an actual use case with one of the uh, largest banks here in Hong Kong. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, this bank gets in thousands of... Uh, S several thousands of invoices every month because their ATMs are placed throughout uh, mm. the, the city. And they have to pay um, rent for their ATMs to sit on properties. And so they're getting in all of these different types of, of invoices. And instead of quote unquote hard coding a process workflow to um, take the invoice number off of a, a digital in, uh, PDF invoice, uh, search for who the invoicer uh, company is, uh, build out multiple templates. Uh, we paired with a partner to uh, add a machine learning model, uh, which would help the uh, workflow interpret a variety of different types of uh, invoices. The specific information could be located anywhere on uh, the invoice, so you didn't have to build out uh, just template by template uh, different um, uh, templates to read the invoices. It would, with a high confidence, be able to pull out all of the required information and put that into the downstream mm -hmm. system. So we built the workflow. You take a digital uh, invoice um, from email. Your software robot does that. Um, it then uses optical character recognition, or OCR, to extract information uh, from that invoice, paired with the machine learning algorithm to make sure that the information it's pulling out of those invoices is what is desired. And then the robot will place that into a financial system, and then that robot will trigger the financial system in order to execute um, uh, account payables process mm -hmm. to those uh, 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 real estate folks that have to get paid for uh, renting that property to uh, the bank for uh, allowing them to allowing the bank to put their ATMs on on their property. So it's basically an end-to-end -end solution. It's basically taking those data sets, reading it, putting it into the database, and then connecting it to actually a payment system that actually facilitates the payments to the end user, or correct? The end uh, vendor, right? Correct. Absolutely. Got it. Got it. Wow, and so our, our, our company provides the process automation flow, the basic software bots which do um, very structured processes um, that typically are manual, mm. uh, labor uh, intensive, 
high volume and, and repetitive. Right. You know, you, you're moving information from one system to another, taking information out of certain documents and putting it into one system uh, or another. Uh, our, our software uh, solution facilitates that process automation, mm -hmm. um, but then to make this process automation system even more flexible and responsive to clients' needs, we can pair it with uh, additional quote-unquote AI models that can enhance it, whether that be uh, things like optical character recognition, anomaly detection, um, uh, a, a variety of different types of uh, AI solutions to help enhance basic process automation workflows. Mm. And that's all uh, specifically inside of the context of structured data or I mean do you also work with unstructured as well? A absolutely okay. so um, you know structured is, is obviously uh, the the easiest but you know imagine a situation where um, you've got pictures uh, you know different types of unstructured uh, data coming in uh, and you need to understand the context around this uh, so there are both as I mentioned um, uh, models that have been prepared by our partners that we can integrate into uh, our workflows um, or their, you know, the, the data science team on, on my team can actually help us prepare um, a custom built uh, machine learning uh, models uh, for uh, our clients. Uh, mm -hmm. As an example, um, we've recently expanded uh, beyond just working with uh, the large banks and large insurance companies uh, in Hong Kong to also working with uh, smaller hedge funds, and by smaller, I, I mean you know, you know, somewhere around eighty to one hundred million uh, assets under management. Okay. So they're, they're they're small for hedge funds, but you know, for, for my pockets, they're they're very big. Yeah, right. right. Um, and and so um, this type of client was looking for an ability to analyze uh, structured and unstructured uh, data. Uh, to determine specific market signals. And this was a custom build for this client. Um, they wanted to basically research, could they enhance their ability to derive uh, alpha or generate returns for their specific clients by going out into um, a universe of different data and potential signals, um, again, both structured and unstructured data, and see could they pick out um, particular signals which would enhance their traders uh, to generate um, you know, additional alpha or, or yield. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is an ongoing process with them right now. So they basically hired uh, our team, not simply for the process automation uh, work because they have after trade um, processes that they need to automate, but they also have more of the uh, front office and, and trader type of work that they hired us as kind of a outsourced data science team to uh, support them on some of their experiments and hypothesis testing uh, for their, their potential trading. So basically you build it, they test it, and then they hire you, kind of. <laughs> well, they, 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 they question us, yeah. uh, they, they vet us, yeah. then uh, they hire us. <laughs> so we've got a contract in place. Right, right. Uh, we, we build to their specific questions, um, leveraging our knowledge, uh, expertise, uh, and experience, and then they take what we built uh, based right. upon a, a hypothesis that comes from them, and they'll and they'll test it. They, they'll they'll um, challenge us and some of the things that 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 we've done. It's 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 um, a structured kind of debate, right. um, and and the only way to uh, win 
yeah. and this is to actually win. Can this actually be a viable uh, potential uh, product, quote unquote product for uh, this, this client? Could they actually win in the markets by, by using what we had built for them, whether it's, you know, a proprietary trading signal or something like that? Right. This is a very new component of, of, of the business. Again, most yeah. of our work really centers around implementing uh, AI automation for um, banking financial services institutions. Um, the uh, hedge fund, smaller hedge fund opportunity is, is something uh, quite new and uh, to be very honest, very exciting for the, for the team um, because sure. we're, we're very used to implementing uh, automation for clients and supplementing it uh, with um, more intelligent or cognitive uh, additions to the workflows to have a client come out and say, oh, could you build us some type of, of custom model uh, based upon this problem set um, ha has proven to be a very unique challenge. And we're looking forward to expanding uh, potentially in, in that area. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds like uh, excellent green field for you guys to kind of penetrate. I mean, maybe you'll even make an adjustment inside of the business model and get a cut of the alpha, right? I mean. Yeah. Well, I, 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 you know, it, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you if you can develop a reputation of providing um, results for people, you know, they they tend to hire you and they t they think think well of you enough to uh, refer you to to others. But that may not actually be the case in the in the in hedge fund industry. We'll, right. we'll have to see. They they might want to just keep that all to them themselves, right? So it, it, it'll be interesting to see where this goes uh, in 2024, 2025. I mean, right. Hong Kong is, is a fintech uh, hub, right? right. As, as you're well aware, as chairman of the Fintech Association of Hong Kong, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's a variety of different opportunities in, right. in the special administrative region. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Right. What other uh, potential use cases can people, you know, come, for, come to you for? I mean, you know, whether it's, uh, inside of banking, finance, insurance, or whether it's in other areas. I mean, it could could have a lot of different other applications. Or you're just very squarely focused on financial service space? or Well, the reason why um, I have directed the company towards uh, servicing financial services institutions is because that's, that's you know, my, my background. Yeah, so just right. very, very easy through the network, through familiarity with working in uh, BFSIs and the technology and operations space, right? Um, but more and more, we are seeing a need to diversify our, our client set. Mm. Um, so we recently attended the Hong Kong Productivity Council, or HKPC, um, trade fair for small and medium enterprises. Mm. And so we, we went there, it was a, it was a great event uh, sponsored by HKPC, and uh, we met with a variety of different other small and medium enterprises mm -hmm. and learned a lot around their particular needs for uh, automation within their operations. Right. Um, we, we are a small company. Um, we're based out in, in Cyberport. We, we have a, a, a dedicated office there, um, but we are a small company. Right. And so I'm very focused on making sure we stay focused right. to service the type of clients um, that we have historically worked very well with and demonstrated um, outsized uh, positive results for. Uh, so while in 2024 we'll, we'll begin to branch out uh, to uh, new offerings, as I mentioned with the, the uh, hedge fund client, and then also 
potential non-financial uh, clients, we have to be strategic in that because we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, fantastic that you know, you're in this space. I mean, it is really red hot right now, right? And, you know, I guess kind of telling you a little bit more about your background is like, what was the trigger event that made you go into your, like, start your own business and be an entrepreneur? Was there a, like, you know, you had this uh, discussion with your boss or something like that, <laughs> or what, what happened? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm an engineer by background. I, you know, I, I, in the intro, I didn't really talk about how I, I, I got uh, here, but... Um, so I'm an industrial engineer by, by background, and for the first six years of my career, I, I actually was involved with uh, physical uh, robots. Okay. I worked in the manufacturing uh, uh, sector for the first six years of my, of my career after graduating from, from university. Um, uh, test sale robots, you know, test testing, test sale. So it, you know, when an engine, is produced on assembly line you know there's a, sure. a, a a robotic process or robot which connects these engines and tests if they're functioning properly before mm. you can ship it out of the plant and uh th that was a major part of my, my work but then I, I had a buddy who said you know what you, you want to get out of the manufacturing sector mm. and go and work in the financial sector uh, bank of america underneath underneath ken lewis is hiring all of these engineers out of the traditional manufacturing sector because he wants people in in operations to move over to the bank because his vision ken lewis's vision at the time was uh to make bank of america into the general electric of the financial services world so in 2007 I'm, i moved uh from uh tennessee yeah. to charlotte north carolina <laughs> okay i was i was working for cummins diesel in in tennessee i originally was in indiana and then i, I moved to a recon plant uh, down in Tennessee, closer to my family. Uh, and then after I, I hit around six years of, of working there in the manufacturing, I then moved to Charlotte, North Carolina in, uh, and at Bank of America. And m most people think Bank of America on New York, but yeah, actually right, right. it's headquartered in, in Charlotte, North Is Carolina. Right? I had no idea. Yeah, wow. and, and I, I picked uh, Charlotte, North Carolina because it's the only major bank that had its headquarters below the, the Mason-Dixon line. I'm originally from Texas, and so I'm a, I'm a Southern guy, yeah. um, and I, I, I don't like the cold, so Hong Kong right. fits me right. very well. Right. Um, and so I, I picked that bank to, to change from traditional manufacturing to financial services. And to get back to your, your question <laughs> around how I got into the entrepreneurship is, you know, every next step of this journey in working in technology and operations, I was picking up new knowledge. So mm -hmm. Bank of America, Merrill, uh, Bank of America then became Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Uh, then uh, moved over to HSBC, then moved to EY um, over the span of like an additional um, 10 years. And along this journey, it was like, I'm, I have all these skills. You know, most of the fruits of my labor is going to my manager or to the company that em employs me? Do I have it within myself to put out my own shingle? 
And so in 2019, I, I, I took that risk mm -hmm. and I did it literally like six months before COVID. <laughs> that was like crazy. I know, right? Like, but you had no idea. Right, I, I had no right. idea. You, you didn't yeah. build the right model then, man. Well, well, here's the thing, right? Could predict the future. COVID turned out to be, and, and I, I, I never want to uh, diminish the impact of, of COVID on, on anyone. It was, it was a horrible mm. time. And, mm. you know, um, it's a blessing that, that Hong Kong uh, is, is now uh, getting its uh, recovery and getting this mojo back after you know, releasing all of the restrictions. I think it was like June of just this year. Um, but, but during COVID, actually, a lot of technology companies like mine, you know, there was a, there was a significant boom, did, did very well, right? right? right. Um, and so it was, it was quite interesting to participate in this growth a, as a company. But what um, was the catalyst? I mean, what, what it was? Well, the, the catalyst was literally me thinking about, okay, would I like to be more sovereign and in control of my, my own destiny. I've, I've got these skills. I'm, I'm in my 40s. Yeah. I, I like to uh, take a little bit more, more risk. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I think also I read an article um, that also gave me a bit more, more courage about starting my own business. Because when, when you think about startups, technology startups in particular, you think about these young guys and, and gals um, you know, straight out of university. But this article, I believe it was, um, I forget which top university in, in the U.S. was publishing, but this was an academic article where the authors documented um, the quote-unquote right age or the most productive age of startup founders. Right. And what, what would you guess as being the uh, quote-unquote right age to... Uh, have the most success of a of a of a startup? Uh, maybe in the thirties. I don't know. Right, a lot of people assume far uh, younger. They sure. assume like on oh, the twenties like because they they, they quote like you know uh, Zuckerberg and all this kind of stuff. Or, then, <laughs> right. or they if they yeah. you know want to be a little bit contrarian, they say oh in their thirties. But actually, according to this research, the authors found that the best age quote unquote to start a startup meaning. Um, the highest probability of success of that startup is actually age 45. 45? Wow. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. God. And so, so I was, like, I, I was, like, you know. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, was, I'm, I'm go I, I wasn't quite at 45, but I, I was close. And I said, you know what? Let me, um, let me go ahead and, and try this. Let me use the data to, in order to, to jump out there. Right. And, and it, it worked out quite well. Did you, did you already have a client at that point? Or you well, were just the, like... So this this is that's actually a great question, Neil, because um, that would be one of the advice that I would give to any mm. uh, founder. Um, always have a client <laughs> before you launch your business. Right, right. Always go and test if someone is willing to pay right. for your uh, services, uh, your product, your your solutions before. Mm. Uh, trying to go out there and, and just right. wing it. Make sure that you have a willing right. Uh, buyer. Right. And so yes, we 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 did. We you did. Had we, one, right? we, we had we had well, uh, a good client. What was that first kind of like landing that first client? What did it feel like? Or what what were like the the problems and the challenges that you had to go through in order to land that client? Well, inter interesting enough, it it wasn't for for me and, and RPA Hong Kong. 
a challenge in terms of landing that, that first client. Um, because when you're in a space of providing both uh, consulting and also a product which matches uh, your, your consulting. So we're, we're in the business, like I said, we have an eight-step proprietary framework to help Ooh. companies implement more AI and automation within uh, their, their companies. And then we also have a product and, and products right. um, from, from partners that we can, we can pair them with, our own right. product and then partner products that we can, we can pair them with uh, to help them implement the, the AI and automation. And so with the background of having worked in technology and uh, operations, being the head of process and automation for um, you know, leading companies uh, prior towards putting out my own shingle, right. um, I, I had the credibility in order to uh, bring this to a client who needed these type of services. So I think one of the things that's most important, um, and you see this in the startup community when um, investors are looking at startup teams. They, they, they look at the composition of the team and they say, well, what is that team's background and how does it relate to what they're pitching? Um, for me, we're not necessarily looking for investors, but we're looking for clients. And so clients are also approaching their evaluation of you in the same way. They're saying, okay, well, you know, you're pitching this to me, but w what is your background? And so for me, it was very easy. I can go back and I can say, oh, I, I've done 20 years of technology and operations. I was the head of process and automation at this firm. I've implemented for three years as the head of uh, uh, intelligent automation for one of the uh, big fours uh, here in, in Hong Kong and in, in greater China. So that credibility naturally flowed uh, in the conversation with the client and, and made it easier for them to say, oh yeah, we, we would like to bring you on board to provide right. uh, this service aligned to you know, your, your background. So right, it was quite right. an easy sell in that regard. Mm. What, what tends to be one of the, 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 the issues, right, um, particularly in uh, situations where people aren't um, confident in where the economy is going, you know, it's okay. Well, what is this price, and how can I be ensured that I'm going to get my my uh, value? I mean, I, I I see you've got the background to be able to do this, mm -hmm. but you know, right now the the purse strings are, are quite tight, mm -hmm. and so you know, I, I I need to get some type of assurance that I'm going to get that return on investment if we bring you and your prop, your you, your team, and your products and services uh, in into the company. And so now. Um, as we go into 2024, we're definitely seeing uh, a bit more of a protracted sales cycle. And so clients are uh, a bit more nervous about, well, where is the economy going to, to go? I mean, there's no hiding uh, about the fact that the, the, the China mainland economy has, has significantly slowed. And people, I think, anticipated it was going to, you know, moon after COVID restrictions were lifted and, and we just haven't seen that. And so people are a bit more conservative on, on their spend, uh, even when it relates to generating efficiencies and um, <clears throat> productivity for their organizations. Right. And so when you uh, initially started this, I mean, what were some of the uh, challenges that you faced? I mean, you know, I guess there's in any sort of entrepreneurial sort of uh, venture, you're probably going to run into a few walls and things like that, right? So, I, you, I, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I think um, Elon Musk he, he said it best, right? I, I don't compare myself to Elon Musk, yeah. but I, I you know I um, I definitely think he hit the nail on the head when he said um, being an entrepreneur is like chewing glass and looking into the abyss. It's like <laughs> chewing glass because 
as a as a founder, you have to do all of the excuse my language the shit work, yeah. right? Because you you can't pay anybody enough to 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 do those uh, type of things and do it uh, to your satisfaction in the earliest stages of the enterprise, right? Um, you you might not have enough capital as a startup. You might not be able to you know Hong Kong you know has a war for for talent and that's and that's global. You might not be able to find uh, the the people and resources to to delegate some of those tasks too. So you have to take them on yourself. So that's the eating glass part. And then to your earlier question around you know looking um, into the abyss is part of your earlier uh, question around around clients, right? You know having a startup can be volatile. You know you you you're, you're up. Because, you know, during COVID, everybody needs to automate everything because, oh, everybody's going to, you know, <laughs> you know, kill over. And so you, you've got to get something in place. Um, but then once it's over and people come to a little bit more rational sense, they're saying, you know what, let me push the brakes a little bit. Um, let me go slower in this. And, and as a business owner, you're saying, OK, well, I... I ramped up my company to now 10 employees and I, I lost an account. Oh man, you know, we're, we're, we're now not in the black, we're in the red now. And so, you know, that's looking out into the abyss. Mm -hmm. Will we actually be able to survive the, the next year and the year after? Um, so that, that's probably the, the, the biggest concern. And so I, I think, you know, if, if I'm talking to anyone keen on, uh, taking the entrepreneurial uh, journey, Neil, you know, the, the suggestion is, you know, aligned to your podcast, uh, resiliency, yeah. right? Resilient. You, you, you have to have fortitude and the ability to withstand the, the volatility for the longer, the longer time because the fruits of your labor are, are definitely not something that is achieved you know, with overnight success, despite all the, the media hype of, you know, instant successes with, with startups and instant success with entrepreneurship, it definitely takes uh, discipline and fortitude and resilience and a stick it to itness um, that if you're not prepared for, you, 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 you won't make it to the other side. Right, right. Do you, do you, um, I don't know. Actually, do you have a co-founder or you're solo? No, I, I, I do have uh, co-founders okay. on, on my team. Right. Um, they, they prefer to stay in the, in the background. Okay. Um, I'm the primary uh, face, face. Of, of the company. Yeah. Um, and then what's most important is that I, I do have a very public uh, team of individuals that when we work with clients, they can see them. And, and we're very proud of the fact that we're uh, like Hong Kong. Uh, slogan of being uh, Asia's world city. We're um, very uh, diverse. I've got a PhD who is from Nigeria. I've got um, local talent uh, who speak, you know, German, uh, English, Mandarin, and uh, Cantonese. Um, we're very proud to be a signatory to the Hong Kong Equal Opportunity Commission's charter for inclusion. So about 50% of our technical staff, um, if we count the offshore developers, is actually uh, women and, and female. Mm. So we, we take a deliberative, deliberate approach uh, towards uh, building out our team that faces out to, to our, our clients um, that uh, has different perspectives due to the fact that the team 
uh, comes from a different uh, backgrounds, sure. but still delivers with a common focus on quality, um, efficiency, and you know hitting the high mark when we um, work with clients. Right. What other use cases do you think are inside of like financial services as far as the things that you can offer? I mean, you talked a little bit about the core businesses, but then, you know, if you kind of had a chance to, let's say, completely unchained to do whatever you wanted to do inside of financial services, leveraging the technology that you have or the capability set, what would you be doing? Oh, so, I, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be even a question about what would we be doing. It's what we're, we're, we're doing now. Right. Um, and what is uh, actually strong in demand based upon what clients are asking for mm. us. And then also, I think most people, at least in Hong Kong, know is, is really needed. And that is in the reg tech space, um, particularly around fraud detection uh, and eliminating some of this like spam type of stuff and right. um, poor poor actors from impacting uh, mm. the, the the financial um, institutions. Uh, so things like uh, systems to help facilitate KYC or know your customer, uh, things uh, like systems to help identify anomalies in financial transactions. Uh, things to uh, automation solutions to uh, help uh, do fraud detection. Uh, these are some of the areas that we're focusing in on. And, and what's great about it is that while every client's specific circumstance uh, from institution to institution will be a little bit different, uh, what we're doing is we're packaging uh, our solutions as what we call pre-built bots. Mm -hmm. So these pre-built bots um, with minor modifications uh, can help our clients uh, get up to speed on solving some of their problems, you know, in really rapid fire clip. Um, because a one client's problem with client onboarding, another's uh, client's problem with uh, anomaly detection, uh, financial uh, transaction monitoring, fraud detection, um, they're going to be very similar. And so what we've done is we've built out the scaffolding or the frameworks for these type of automations, which can assist them, and you can port this. Uh, you know, uh, from one client to to another to another, and so it enables them to get a better bang for their their buck. You know, I'm I'm former Big Four uh, consultant, but you don't necessarily always need to go out to a, a Big Four consultant to 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 get the best results. You can come sure. to a company like RPA Hong Kong, which consists of a former um, Big Four uh, consultants from all the way from the uh, director level down to the uh, consultant level and you can get that same type of white glove uh, service, uh, high quality uh, delivery at a much more um, client friendly uh, price point. Right, right. Very cool. So uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, you know, obviously most recently inside of the news we see all the fiasco if you want to call it, open AI. Yeah. You know, what's your view on that whole situation? I mean, you know. Uh, well, I mean, the, the reality is we, we don't really know too much. It's a lot of speculation. And so I, I tend to be a very data-driven uh, person, right? I, I, we, we know the facts. Uh, Sam was removed from his, his position as CEO, and then he was uh, brought back. The rumor and speculation is that there was uh, moves towards uh, AGI. But people have been talking about that for you know, ages that you know, we're on the cusp of generating artificial general uh, artificial general uh, intelligence or a AGI, and you know I I have read the brief about um, uh, QSTAR, 
um, but I haven't gone into the, the details of it. And so I, I, I'd say that right at this point, uh, QSTAR is the, yeah, the, 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 the algorithm or, or that they're, they're saying was uh, on the cusp of you know, creating a new uh, entity or, or AGI. Uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of speculation at, at, at this point. Um, everything that we're working with clients on is nowhere near uh, AGI. And so, you know, maybe some companies in their labs are, are getting closer, but that's not the type of work that we do. We, we do a lot of more practical oriented work with specialized uh, implementations of artificial intelligence to make process automations um, much more reliable. Uh, cognitive and effective for our client needs. And so we're not seeing anything related to AGI in, in our implementations, but we, but we are seeing an ability to um, use large language models to make our own developers more productive. Um, we're able to, you know, use um, uh, these tools to be more productive in, in our work and help our, our clients be, be more productive but nowhere near uh, uh, AGI. I, I think it's, it's, it's great for, you know, uh, you know, happy hour drink uh, kind of conversations, <laughs> but I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see, you know. Do you um, think we're super close to AGI level or, I mean, I, what's your view? Or, I, you know, I'm, I'm not in the, the top secret, secret labs and I, I, would, I would really, <laughs> I, I think it, it makes great for headlines. Yeah. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know what we call artificial intelligence really is 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 math, mm. right? Um, do do I think that math? <coughs> excuse me. Do I think that math uh, can and and can um, emulate human consciousness yeah. or trump human intelligence? Tr tr trump human intelligence. Right. You know, I, again, I'm not in those top secret labs, but I, I, I don't think that we're at that point uh, just yet. Right, right. We, we, we'll see. We'll see. Are I mean, you, these technologies right. grow exponentially. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I, I, I wouldn't bet, you know, I wouldn't bet much <laughs> on it at, at this stage. What, what, I mean, would you, do you think that's positive? I mean, AGI or do you think it's negative? Oh, I, I mean, I, I think for people to argue against technology is like to argue against fire, to argue against the invention of the wheel, right? right? Yeah. I mean, all technologies are like double-edged swords, yeah. right? You can use fire to cook food, and you can use fire to commit arson. You can use um, the wheel on a car in order to take you from A to B to pick up your, your son, your daughter, and bring them home to the family, or you can use your car to drink and drive and, and you know, injure, injure people. So there's, technology is both a double-edged uh, sword. And um, I think that the responsibility is for humans to think about um, how we're going to leverage uh, technology to serve human needs as opposed to thinking as technology and this abstract thing independent of humans and mm -hmm. oh it's good or it's bad intrinsically. No, the technology derives its goodness or its badness from how we as humans uh, leverage the technology and that's why at RPA Hong Kong Limited we tend to uh, lean 
lead with this idea of people first, people first technology. Um, and that implies that humans are always at the center and at the focus of any type of technology implementation. How does this technology service human needs? Not, you know, humans serving the needs of technology. Right. right. Well, I, yeah, I think it kind of goes into the next question is like, you know, how do we, um, what, what sort of uh, regulatory framework or what sort of ethics are inside of this whole space in the development of this whole AI space, right? So, you know, maybe you can share your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, you know, obviously if you're leading with the people for, uh, first, um, then technology perspective, you have to think about AI ethics, technology uh, ethics. Um, and, and what's interesting, because you know we're, we're sitting here in, in, in Hong Kong, and, and Hong Kong uh, is actually leading in, in that space. Um, in fact, a couple of years ago, the Department of uh, the Privacy uh, Commissioner launched a framework for AI uh, ethics and, and responsibility. They uh, developed a three-part um, scaffolding or uh, framework, if you will, for how companies and businesses should think about uh, AI as well as um, how they should uh, implement it. And um, I, I don't have it completely memorized, but I've, I've got it here on my, on my phone here. They, they, their ethical AI framework uh, and the use of artificial intelligence, it consisted of, of three key pillars. Uh, the first was on stewardship, data stewardship values. So, you know, three key points on how data should be used uh, for um, uh, AI, for it to be ethically implemented. Um, then there were uh, seven ethical principles for AI they outlined in a, um, in a, a, a guidance document. Um, and then they also gave a practice guide which addressed four major business uh, processes. And so, you know, Hong Kong is certainly leading in terms of uh, having businesses and um, uh, responsible parties think through how we can implement ethical uh, AI. And by by the um, the government actually um, this this governmental office implementing this this guidelines and uh, simplifying it into even uh, just a few page document paired with a, a much longer uh, document, they're they're being proactive to get the business community aware of the things that um, the business community and society in general uh, need to be aware of in order to make sure that these new tools are. Um, being implemented with a people-first uh, perspective. Right. So what do you think is the next kind of iteration inside of the regulatory framework? I mean, uh, you know, you see, do you think that's enough, I guess, is uh, the question at, at this point? Or do you think, like, should there be more? Should there be less? Should be just kind of free-wheeled at this point? Or Right. So, I mean, I, um, I, I, I it's a, it's a difficult question to answer because technology and innovation can be hampered with too much regulation. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that um, these guidance documents being distributed and uh, being made aware of the uh, business, uh, being made aware of by the business community are, 
are are important and useful. Um, I do think at some point, you know, regulation around uh, the use of AI in an ethical manner is going to need to to come, right? Because I think it's very difficult to entrust that um, business and individuals will always do the right thing. So there needs to be both a carrot and a, a stick uh, approach. And so in most of civilized society, you, societies, you do put in place laws and then there's, um, you know, the rewards of society for obeying those rules that society has agreed in a social contract to adhere to. And then there's punishments uh, when you go outside of those norms and, and practices. So I think with this new technology, the same way with the use of fire, the same way with the use of you know a, a car and your driver's license, you, you, there's, there's rules and regulations. I think we're going to see ultimately the same thing for artificial intelligence. Right, right. And then, so where do you see this entire area going? I mean, inside of the context of fintech, how much adoption will there be and what sort of use cases? Like, if you kind of look in a crystal ball, like five-year trend, you know, what do you see is going to be the future for the application of AI inside of the financial services space? Well, you know, so someone a bit more clever than me, Neil, uh, once said, uh, prediction is very hard, yeah. especially when you're predicting the future. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, 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 you know, you're not going to be able to get me to get put on record. Okay, well, in five years, this is this is where we're 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 going to see. You know, we're going to see a Terminator type of scenario. Yeah, we're going right. to see a Utopia AGI type of, of scenario. Yeah. You you won't get those type of um, predictions from me. But one one thing I I will, um, you know, put on the record is that you're going to see a lot more of AI and automation in the next five years, with, with, without a doubt. Right. Um, even with uh, increased regulation, even with increased uh, uh, guidance, we're not going to see a slowdown of, of this trend. We're going to see it accelerate, and we're likely going to see it accelerate at a more exponential pace. Right. Um, the, the way that the uh, internet uh, exploded, the way that um, you know the wheel exploded, uh, transportation. The way fire exploded, uh, you know uh, our ability to um, organize as as civilizations. We're going to see the same thing with artificial intelligence because of its ability to uh, help humans to be more human, right? You can, you know, for all the students out there, uh, you can cheating be more with Chat GPT, AI. You, Right, it's, it's, it's almost um, yeah. counterintuitive, right? right? If, as a human, I need to communicate with you mm -hmm. and I can use ChatGPT to help me write what I'm trying to convey to you, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a tool to help me engage with another human in a more effective manner. Um, now, obviously, I can use that to convey information, you know, fake news and, and false things. But if what I want to do is I want to make my writing much more clear, concise, and impactful, I can use that. I can use my original words and then take suggestions from an, an engine which is studied. You know, I, I think um, ChatGPT now goes up to, uh, uh, you know, 2023, part of 2023. You know, it's taking all of this 
information and helping, mm. right? And, and so we're, we're going to see the same thing as we get into the use of agents to go and help us be more product, productive and efficient um, when we want to uh, do work and tasks, mm. right? So all of this is the same as any other technology, um, but it, it, it's um, more geared towards not simply being a tool to help uh, me be more productive like with a, with a hammer. It's like the hammer itself can get more efficient and the hammer also can teach me how to be more efficient in my task. Mm. Um, so in, in, in other words, it, it's, it's definitely not gonna go away. And so your, your question around uh, prediction, we're going to see a lot, lot more about uh, of this. Where are we going to see um, the the impacts? Um, most likely in in businesses, because to be quite honest, business is where um, the the dollars are, and, and businesses are always looking uh, to create greater efficiencies. Right. That's why I built a career working in technology and operations. They're they're looking for efficiency right. and productivity out of their workforces, and so um, you know. The, the trickle-down effect for us as people is going to also uh, be there. But most importantly, uh, most impactful is probably going to come from, you know, businesses using it uh, within their enterprises to cut down on, on labor, to improve quality, uh, to, uh, you know, reduce costs. Right. Do you think that, uh, I guess, inside of the context of AI, does Hong Kong have an advantage, disadvantage, or is there some kind of flavor of AI that will come out of Hong Kong uniquely? Well, I mean, Hong Kong is an international financial center, right? And so in the intelligent automation space, what we found is that the most mature implementations of intelligent automation, meaning process automation plus AI, right, have been in the financial sector. So Hong Kong's unique advantage and that flavor of using AI will likely be in the financial uh, sector space. And then Hong Kong is actually at a uh, unique position because it's right next door to, to mainland China, right? I mean, so as a special administrative region, you've got this potential free flow of talent from Hong Kong into the mainland, particular mm -hmm. uh, the greater Bay Area region where you've got a lot of talent. I mean, Lee Kai-Fu, he wrote about it. Um, and AI superpowers around the fact that the U.S. and, and China are the two leading uh, AI superpowers. And so you've got a lot of this talent that exists uh, in the mainland. And so the mainland can benefit uh, from uh, the, the, the market access that Hong Kong provides. And Hong Kong can certainly uh, uh, benefit from the uh, technical talent that the mainland can provide. So there's this synergy of relationships between the special administrative region and, and the mainland of, of, of China um, that puts Hong Kong at a very unique spot. Um, it, it truly is the uh, hub into China. And then I think you know mainland China uh, views Hong Kong as a gateway increasingly to the outside um, uh, international world. Sure, awesome. Hey, um, I don't know how people will get in touch with you. What's the best way? Um, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. You, you look up Floyd E. Newsom the third. Um, the third? Yeah, I'm, I'm the third, right? Oh, so yeah, Floyd okay. E. Newsom, that's N-E-W-S-U-M. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can find me on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, that's probably the easiest way. I like to connect people through um, LinkedIn as a, as a social media channel. Okay, awesome. Yeah. 
Thanks a lot, Floyd, for coming in. <laughs> it was awesome having that chat, so appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot.